must be ready to go. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Well, Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for this moment, that this is the only moment of this one that we get. And so we thank you, Lord, that we can offer it to you as a living sacrifice. We can present ourselves before you in worship. We can open up your word and learn from you and lean on you in whatever we're going through in our lives. So we thank you for this moment, and we offer it to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, that's good. I'm glad you're all stirred up because I'm, I came stirred up ready to go. I was like, oh, it's probably one of those days where I have to tell myself to slow down a little bit. I get moving quick. But I'm excited about the things that God is doing in my life and in your life and what's going on in this world today. There's so many negative things you can focus on. But that's what you choose to focus on. You can find good going on around you all the time. And so for the last two weeks, this is week number three, we've been talking about connection. What are you connecting yourself to? Or what are you allowing to be connected to you that might not be God's best? Every day where we find ourselves in situations where you have an opportunity to connect God's goodness to it. And rather than just put up with what's going on, you can connect God's mercy to it. You can connect God's love to it. You can connect God's favor to it. You can connect God's provision to it. You can connect God's healing to it. And how are we connecting things? We're connecting them with our words and with our actions. Come on. Faith without works is dead. But you know what you believe you'll talk about. What you believe you'll actually get up and do. There's a lot of Christians that say they believe something but upon the examination of what they're talking about and the examination of what they're doing you go you don't believe what you think you believe because your beliefs are talking pretty loud, and it's not what you think. And that's one of the things I've learned over being 15 years now as a pastor, that people, when they come to you, they always tell you first what they think you want to hear. And then if you listen long enough, you find out what they actually believe. And then you try and navigate them in the right direction and give them points. But some people, they've been where they've been for so long, and they're content to be there. They like to complain about it. But what are you connecting yourself to? You know, I've told this story so many times, but it popped up in my Facebook feed the other day that I realized it's been 11 years since it happened, and it was in the early November. Like, November, I, I, li I like September and October. Those are the, the good months of fall. But when you get into November, things start to get colder. Things start to get damp. And 11 years ago, and I think it was the first or second week of November, I was over here at the gas station, and it was the most gorgeous fall day that you could ask for. It was so unseasonably warm that day. The sun was shining. The birds were still chirping. They hadn't taken off. And, you know, I pumped my gas, and I'm like, oh, this is such a great day. I'm so enjoying this fall day. Fall is my favorite season. And so I pumped my gas, and I went in to pay, and I was about three or four in the line waiting to pay. I don't know why I didn't pay at the pump that day. You know, I don't usually go in to pay. But there was three older ladies in front of me, probably, I would say, in their 70s. And they were having this conversation. I come in all happy, and they're like, oh, winter is coming. And then the other one says, oh, it's going to be such a cold one. 
oh, my bones just ache thinking about it. And then the third one says, yeah, it's going to be a hard one. I'm not sure I'm going to survive this winter. And here I am going, this is such a beautiful day, but what was on the inside of them was connecting themselves to their negative expectations of what's coming to have. That's called perverted hope, just so you know. Uh, Hope is a confident expectation of good things to come. You can connect yourself with with an expectation, man, good days are coming for me. Things are getting better for me. As it's been is not how it's going to be. I see the goodness of God in my future. And I know that he said he has good plans for me, plans to prosper me, to give me a hope and a future and an expected end. And so you can connect yourself to the goodness of God and begin to latch your faith onto those things. So we've been talking about connection. It's just another way of saying faith. We've talked about faith a lot in this last six months, and we're going to just keep talking about faith because it's so important. The Bible says multiple times, the just live by faith. You live by what you're connecting yourself to. If you don't like what you got, start connecting yourself to something different. You can continue to do the same things over and over and over and over again. And if you're expecting a different result, that's called insanity. Connect yourself to the word. Connect yourself to the goodness of God. He is good every day. His mercies are new every morning. The book of Psalms says that he daily loads us with benefits. And so you may be looking around saying, I don't have what I need. Go ahead and say by faith, I thank you, Lord. You have already backed the dump truck up and you've loaded me with what I need for today. Because, man, just as David said, I've, been, I've seen, seen a lot in my life, but I've never seen the right righteous forsaken or them begging for bread. Come on. He daily loads us with his benefits. He forgives all of your sins. He heals all of your diseases. He's a good, good God. And so we've been asking the question, what are you connecting yourself to? What are you connecting together? When you see certain things pop in your life, what is your response to it? When negative things happen, is your response a response of acceptance? It got quiet in this Baptist church. Is, Is your response a response of acceptance? No, you don't have to accept everything that shows up on your doorstep. Something knocked. And you peek out the door and be like, no thank you, return to sender. You don't have to accept everything that shows up on your doorstep. When the flu season comes around and it shows up on your doorstep, do you go, oh, again, this year again? Or do you say, no, by his stripes I've been healed. What are you connecting together? Because oftentimes we leave ourselves in this place of neutrality of just accepting whatever comes. 
No, we are not called as Christians to just to be accepting of things. We determine the path that goes before us. Just as John the Baptist was the voice crying into the wilderness, make straight the paths for the king who's coming, your words and your prayers are going before you and preparing a place for you. Come on, what are you accepting and what are you preparing for? What are you making room for? Come on, when you invite guests over to your house, say, hey, come on, you want to come on over a, f- a Friday at 7? What do you do? You prepare for that. You begin to put on a meal. You begin to get things ready. You probably, if you're like us, you have to scramble to clean the house because it doesn't stay clean for five minutes with four boys. It just seems like it's always a mess. And so you start to do the cleaning because you're preparing. You put the meal together. And as the time gets closer, it's getting closer to 7, you're kinda, you open up the blinds so you can peek out so that you know when they've arrived so that you can open up the door to welcome them in. What do you do? You prepare. And so when we do an audit of our words and our actions, we begin to understand what it is we're actually preparing for. Now, in the story that I told you, I'd probably bet that that lady didn't survive the winter because that's where her expectation was. Come on, I expect I'm going to live good in the land. I believe that I'm going to see the goodness of God every day. And when it's cold, we, hey, we live in Canada. You chose to live here. There's other places you could live. You don't need to dread the winter. Go ahead and get your skis waxed up and get ready to go. Get your skates sharpened and get out and start doing some loops around the rink. Come on. We, we prepare for the goodness of God. We prepare for joy, John. We prepare for joy. John came in this morning. He says, man, the joy of the Lord is in this place today. And that's exactly right. The joy of the Lord was in this place and you had an opportunity to connect to that. You had an opportunity this morning to connect in worship before the Lord. You can come in and you can sing the words or you can connect in worship. There's a difference. It's when your heart begins to open up and you say, yes, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm so glad there is freedom in your presence. Or you can say, there is freedom in the name of Jesus. My pot roast is going to be done. And how long is that now? You can connect to things. And what you will receive in this life is determined by what you're willing to connect to. Amen? So what are you connecting together? And so for the last three, two weeks, we've been in Luke chapter 5. And we're not going to read it this morning, but I'll give you the quick synopsis to get everybody back up on the same page. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus has hit a point in his ministry where things are just getting too busy to handle on his own. So he comes along, multitude in tow, crowds of people following, and he comes to where Peter, James, and John have their fishing business. And there they are, sitting in their boats, mending their nets, and uh, Jesus says to Peter, because it's the calling of Peter, James, and John, but Luke 5 really focuses in on Peter and Peter's response, or what Peter connects to. And so Jesus says to him, can I borrow your boat for a minute? And he says, sure. So they get in the boat. Jesus pushes off a little bit. He teaches the crowds. And when he's done teaching, he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter, the first thing he connected, and we talked a lot about this last week, the first thing he connected was, Jesus, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. 
And when you read between the lines, what he's saying is we've already been there. We've done that. We're tired. I want to go home. I want to sleep. It's not the, quite the shouting that match that usually gets preached in Luke 5. Oh, yeah, the net breaking, boat sinking uh, provision of God. No, the first thing that Peter connected was, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. We've already done this. And there, there can be a lot of times in our lives where the Holy Spirit is drawing you to do something that you feel like you've already done. Do it again. If he told you to do it, do it again. Don't say, I tried that. Yeah, you tried it in your strength, and now the leading and the unction of the Lord is saying, do it again. And so Peter's first thing is his flesh. He connects his flesh to it. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. And he says, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down a net. And Jesus didn't say net. He said net, sir. And Peter, his response of net is I don't want to have to go clean these again. Because Peter's expectation is, I've already tried this. We don't fish at this time of day. We don't need to let down any nets. We'll just have to fix them again. We'll have to pull the seaweed in again. We'll have to repair the holes again. And he says, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down a net. And so he puts out a little bit, and he lets down that net, and the Lord fills that net till it begins to break, and the boat is sinking. And Peter throws himself down at the feet of Jesus and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Which is Peter's way of saying, I'm sorry, I didn't trust that you knew what you were talking about. I'm the fisherman, you're not. But now I know that your word is higher than my experience. Your word is higher than what I may know in the profession I've been in all my life. At your word, I should be fully obedient instead of just half-hearted pleasing you. Okay, I'll give you a net. No, Peter understood in that moment, Jesus knows some things, and Jesus can get some things done that I can't. And so he lets down that net, he gets a boat sinking, net breaking catch, and he says, I, I, I did it wrong, Jesus. And we have, we have back to this this morning, because this becomes a benchmark moment in the life of Peter. There are things that happen in your life when you begin to trust God little by little that stand as markers that he said, if he did it before, he'll do it again. Come on, there, there's times you may not have had many faith victories, but you look back to the ones that you have had and put yourself into remembrance. I still serve the same God. And as he came through before, he'll come through again. But it looks dark right now, Pastor Jordan. That's okay. As he came through before, he'll come through again. And so this story, the calling of Peter, becomes a benchmark moment in his life that he hearkens back to later on. And so today, I want to go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And now we've seen Jesus' ministry has come to an end. He's already died. He's been buried. He is resurrected. And he is now presenting himself back to his disciples raised from the dead. And so they've had an experience with him. He's already showed up. The door was locked and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is standing in the midst of them. And they go, ah! Why? Because the doors was locked. Jesus didn't do the door. He just walked right in. He's got his new glorified body. And so he's had his ministry and the only thing left to do is for him to ascend into heaven. And 
looking at Peter, Peter has had moments of growth throughout the ministry of Jesus. I like looking at Peter. I said this last week because he's very human. And he responds the way a lot of us do. And so sometimes we can look at Peter and go, oh, Peter. And then you're like, you know, if you realize it, you're just the same as him. He's had his moment where Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to die and I'm going to be ra raised again. And Peter says, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. What he's saying, he's like, you don't know what you're connecting yourself to. I just told you what's going to happen and you've connected yourself with the plan of the enemy. And so he has that moment. And then they get into the garden, and here comes Judas with the, with the guards to come and arrest Jesus and betray him. And what does Peter do? He jumps up with his little fishing knife, and he chops off the ear of the servant. And Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, put the, put the knife away. And he puts the ear back on. And so he's been having these learning moments with Jesus along the way. And then he has the big trial of his life where Peter, he says to Jesus, I will never I'll never walk away from you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, well, Peter, before this night is done and you hear the rooster crow, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what he does. And so we find Peter, Jesus has risen from the grave, but the, the weight of that denial is still resting on him. And Jesus doesn't want to leave him in that spot. And so that's where we find ourselves in John 21, verse 1 today. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's an important note, because Luke chapter 5 takes place at the Lake of Gennesaret, which is all the na same name for the different names for the same lake. We have the Lake of Gennesaret, we have the Sea of Galilee, and we have the Sea of the Tiberias. They're all the same place, so we are in the same location as Luke 5 story. And so he says, they're at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, so James and John, and two other disciples were together. I, I'm like, well, why do those guys not get names? You know, it's kind of like they were probably part of the 70 or the 120 or the 500. They weren't, they weren't part of the main 12, but he's like, he's like, yeah, there was two other guys there as well. <laughs> it's like, God, let me be faithful enough that my name actually gets mentioned. <laughs> And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. What was he saying? He's like, I've screwed up enough. I'm going back to what I used to do. He says, I'm going fishing. And so they said to him, we're going with you also. And so they went out and they immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Sounds like the story's repeating itself again. Because it is. Jesus is about to remind Peter of the benchmark moment of his life, the moment where he called him into the ministry, where he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of, a fisher of men. Why is he going to remind him of that moment? Because God didn't change his mind. I think Christians need to get a hold of that a little more. I find so many Christians just get blown wherever the wind show, flows them. No, if God told you to do something, you stay there until it's done. You get it done, and then when he tells you to move on, you move on. 
I can't tell you how many people over the years is like, well, how'd you end up in this church? Oh, God told me to be here. And then three weeks later, they're gone. It's like, obviously God didn't, you know? Don't be blown around. He says that for Peter here, I called you and I haven't changed my mind. Why? Because there's no shadow of turning. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't repent. If he told you to do it, he meant it. And so they're catching. They caught nothing that night. And it says, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. That's an important note. They didn't know it was him. They're far enough. He's just some dude sitting on the, on the shore while they're out on the, on the sea. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no, no, we didn't catch anything. No, we don't have it. And he said to them, cast the net. He's like, because I know you're willing at least to throw one, Peter. (laughs) Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to draw it in. disciple whom Jesus loved is John. And so he, he, he cries, and he says, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he'd removed it. So he's basically, he's been fishing in his underwear, and he's like, shoot, Jesus is here. I should probably get dressed. And so he puts on his coat, and he jumps into the sea, and he starts swimming to Jesus. Come on, I think that's a great picture. Don't run from him. Run to him. Jesus shows up. You get there. Come on. But the other disciples, they they came in the little boat. They're like, we don't feel like getting wet. (laughs) So Peter can swim, but we're taking the boat. And it says they came in in the little boat, and they were not far from land. Why? Because this is a parallel of Luke chapter 5, where Jesus told Peter, launch out into the deep. But Peter ended up staying close enough that he could call to his friends. Come on, this is, this is calling back to that same story. It says they're not far from land. They're about 200 cubits, which is about 300 feet. And they were dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw the fire of coals there and the fish laid on it and bread. And I love this picture because Jesus didn't need them to bring those fish in. The fish wasn't for Jesus' benefit. It was for Peter's benefit. Jesus already had the fire going. He already had the fish on it. He even had bread there waiting for them. Why? Because Jesus is a constant source of provision. He knows what you need, and he knows what will satisfy. And after a night of long of fishing and catching nothing, he knew these guys are going to need a little sustenance. He knows what you need. And Jesus said to them, "Bring, bring some of the fish you've caught. And so Peter went up, and he dragged the net full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. This is an important notation. Because in Luke 5, Jesus said, let down your nets. And Peter responded with, a net, but the provision was designed 
for nets. And so the net was breaking because they were asked for nets. And here, Peter responded with doing exactly what he was told. Put the net in. And when we follow what God tells us to do, what you have to offer will be enough. If he asks for a net and you give him a net, that net will be enough. If he asks for nets and you give him nets, those nets will be enough. If you offer yourself and that's what he's asked for, what you have to offer will be enough for the situation. Because God is not into partial obedience. We give him our all. And there's so many people in the body of Christ that are saying, God, why don't you move like I hear in so-and-so's life or of what I've heard in the past? And he's saying, because you're still holding parts of you back. If I ask you to do it, put your heart down as a living sacrifice. Don't say I'm tired. Don't say I don't want to waste the resources. No, I give you my all. Whatever he asks you to give, you give it. You know, I was thinking about in Malachi chapter 3 where the Lord is he's calling out the nation of Israel because he says, you've robbed me. And they say, how have we robbed you? And he says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And they said, no, we haven't. But God's response in chapter 3, verse three of 10 of Malachi, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and now try me now in this says the Lord of hosts. What, what he's saying is, I've asked for this amount. Try me now. Go ahead and be obedient to it. Now, this is not a message on giving or tithing or anything like that, but I think this is a great example. He, this is what I've asked for. Try me now in that. He didn't say, try me now at 1%. Try me now at 5%. Try me now at 9.5%. He said, no, bring me the tithes. Try me now in that, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. And so many Christians are like, God, why am I not seeing your blessing? Well, they're holding back on their end because your connection is having a greater impact in your life then you give it credit for if he's asked for something present yourself it will be worth it come on because God is always faithful through to the end over and over again and again that when you present yourself and bring all that he has asked he always comes through in ways that you could never get your mind around Come on, it says that he blesses us above and beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. So maybe we should start asking a little greater and imagining things that are a little bigger rather than bringing our lives down to these small points and connecting little. Because your connection of laying hold of the promises of God is important. God's connection, we said it last week, never lets go. It never gives up. God's grace is always abundant. Every day, in every situation, his undeserved, his unmerited favor, his power and ability in your life never gives up, never lets up. He doesn't look at your good or your bad. 
He looks at Jesus, and he says, here's the provision I've provided. Here's what I've done through the finished work of Jesus. Here's what I've said is complete in your life. Here's what I've said I have provided, and your connection receives from the open hand of God. Your connection's important. And so last week we ended in, uh, in the book of Mark and we were looking at the woman with the issue of blood. But I want to look at some more, connect, more stories this morning about other people's connection. Because too many in the body of Christ are, well, if God finally gets around to coming through to me, and he's saying, no, 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 go ahead and connect. Your faith is what connects. And in the story of the woman with the issue of blood, her connection was this. She heard about Jesus and she said to herself, if I may only touch the hem of the garment, I shall be made well. And that's what we were singing this morning with Tear Off the Roof. There's more power in the hem of Jesus' garment than all of the camp of the enemy. Go ahead and just grab hold. And I love this story because Jesus is not the initiator. The woman is. She says, if I can only touch his garment, I'm going to be made well. If I just get there and grab hold, I shall be made well. And I love this story because it's what we would teach the people when I was working in prayer and healing school in Tulsa. When they would come in, we would start preparing them on Monday. They would come with terminal diseases. They've got nowhere else to go. If they don't get something here, they're going home and going to the grave. And so they would come in on Monday, and we begin to prepare them. When hands are laid on you on Thursday, the power of God is going into your body, and it's going to affect a work and a cure. We begin preparing that connection, and we begin talking about them. And then we spend four days teaching them about the healing power of God and what he's provided for them so that when we get to that moment, they have something to connect to, that moment we've been preparing. And that's exactly what this woman is saying. Once I get to that point, healing is going into my body. When I grab hold... And so many faithless people stand in altar calls all the time. They're hoping and a wishing that something's going to happen. No, that's not connection. You get up there and you say, when hands are laid on me, the power of God is going in my body. It's going to affect a work and a cure. And what happens when you have hands laid on you? You go back and you say, the power of God has gone in my body and it's working an effect and a cure right now. It's going to work it out. What he begun, he's going to see through to the end. Because too often we pray for people and they begin, like, they begin to check, oh, well, I don't feel anything. No! Put a connection to it. What God said is true. Connect to it. And so she said, if I may only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith, your faith, your connection has made you well. He didn't say, my connection, my grace. No, he said to her that her faith had made her well. And the great thing is God is no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he'll do for another. The provision wasn't just enough for her. No, he said that he has redeemed you from the curse of the law so that the blessings of Abraham may rest upon you. One of these days, we got to get back to that and talk about what the curse of the law was that you've been redeemed from. Maybe in the new year we'll get to that. But he said, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. 
Let's look at some more stories where people, when we see other people's connection rather than God's. Just a few verses down from there in verse 27, it says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe I am able to do this? And what was their response? Yes, Lord. It wasn't, I sure hope so. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? No, their response was, yes, Lord. But you know that even before he asked that question, their faith was already on display. Why? They're a bunch of blind guys. They're two blind guys. And they're having a hard time following him. They're saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. Where did you go? And it says, when he had come into the house, meaning Jesus didn't stop and was like, oh, I'll come to you. He kept going. Which means they're having to find their way to him and they're going, they're allowing themselves to be inconvenienced. Come on, don't be lazy, Christians. Don't be like, well, that just is too hard. That just takes too much time. No, you push through the crowd, you tear off the roof, you get to Jesus. And he said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Or they connected themselves. And he touched their eyes and said, well, according to your faith, let it be unto you. According to your faith. Come on, let's look at another one. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, there met met him ten men who were lepers and who stood afar off. Why, did, why does it say they stood afar off? Because that's what they were legally required to do. They were not supposed to mingle with the crowd because they didn't want the infectious leprosy to spread to the crowd. And so this means that these ten guys had been to see the priest. The priest had examined them and said, yes, you have leprosy. Here is your robe so that everybody knows to stay away from you. And your instructions are that when you get close to other people, you cry out, whoa, 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 stay back. I'm unclean. I'm a leper. So they knew their place. They'd been examined by the priests. And it says, as they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. And so they're calling out to him because they can't go there legally. And so when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it says, and so it was as they went. And this is important before we say the last part. It was as they went. This is their response of faith. It would have been so easy in that moment to say, I've already seen the priest. Don't you see the robe? Don't you see me standing off saying, Hey, Jesus, I'm over here because I can't come to you. 
This is their moment of faith. It would have been easy for them to connect to something negative and say, I've already seen the priest. I don't need to do that again. No, but it says, as they went, which means they took Jesus at his word and they began the journey to the priest. And it says, as they were went, they were cleansed. And the idea that we see in the Greek here is that as they went, the leprosy stopped progressing. They were no longer infectious, and their bodies were no longer being consumed. And it says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, when he saw it, why? Because according to his faith, his response to what Jesus had asked him to do, he noticed, hey, I'm healed. And he returned, and with a loud voice, he glorified God. And he fell down on his feet, and giving him thanks, and it says, and he was a Samaritan. I always love those details, because the great miracles that we see under Jesus usually happen to people who they, was, they wasn't even their time. Jesus had come for the children of Israel, and here are all these Gentiles, these unclean people, these people that don't, the Jews don't associate, and they're the ones having these great moments of faith, like the Syrophoenician woman. She comes to Jesus and says, my daughter's demon-possessed. Please do something about it. And Jesus said, yeah, it's not my time for that. He says, it's not good for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And her response was, yeah, but I don't need the whole bread. Even the little dogs eat of the crumbs from the master's table. She knew that just one crumb was enough to set her free. And Jesus said, whoa, such great faith. We see the centurion. He says, I don't even need you to come to my house, Jesus. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, what great faith. And you notice it was their faith, not Jesus's. And so this man, he comes and he falls down at Jesus' feet and giving him thanks. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? I like that because Jesus didn't say, how many of you got healed? His expectation was they all obeyed, they all should have been cleansed. And he says, where are the nine? Were there not Found, not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Come on. That implication of well there is all ten got cleansed. The leprosy stopped. But the one who came back gave glory and thanksgiving to God. He got restored. Meaning he got his fingers back. He got, probably got his nose back. He got his ears back. Those things that had been consumed by the disease. Nine got cleansed with that step of faith. But the one let his faith take him further. He came back to God and said, thank you. And he was restored fully. So it shows different levels of connection. How far are you willing to take it? Come on, there's more stories that we could tell. But I want to jump to the book of Timothy, here, as, Timothy as we wrap up today. I like what Paul says to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in verse 11, we'll start. He says this to Timothy. He says, but you, O man of God, flee these things. What things is he talking about? He just finished telling them that the, lo the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and the thing is, money is not the root of all evil. The love of it is. 
Why? Because you should love the Lord your God above all things. And so he's saying, don't let yourself be hooked up with what the rich people do where that's all they seek. He says, you flee these things, and this is what he says. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And then in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That's connection. Lay hold on eternal life. Take hold. Seize it. And he says, to which you were also called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. How do we connect? We connect with our words and with our actions. And he's saying, Timothy, go ahead and lay hold on eternal life with your words because that's what you've been called to. The word lay hold here is this Greek word. And the, the second definition is to lay hold of or to seize with hands. But I like the first one better. It means to take in addition to. Why do I like that? Because there will be things that show up in your life that you don't like. Go ahead and take something else in addition to it. Go ahead and take the life of God. Go ahead and take the peace of God. Go ahead and take the provision of God. Go ahead and take the health of the Lord and add it to whatever's going on in your life and let it become the solution that you need in that moment. Go ahead and lay hold of it because it is there for the taking. And so go ahead and lay hold of, seize what it is you need, and take it into addition with what has showed up on your doorstep. But he said, lay hold of eternal life. And the idea that we get usually from this, and I don't believe this is what he's saying, is like, go ahead and lay hold of that eternity you get to spend in heaven. No, heaven, eternity is not just about heaven. Eternity already began when you stepped into Christ Jesus and received him as your Lord. The words that he uses there for eternal life is aeonis zoe. And aeonis means without beginning or without end. And zoe is the real genuine life of God. You're not waiting for eternal life to begin when you stepped into Jesus. It already is. You stepped into God who has no beginning or no end. And that real genuine life of God, that God quality life is already right there available to you because of the work of Jesus. And he says, go ahead and lay hold of it. Amen. So what are you connecting to? What he said was, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Meaning, put some action to it. Go ahead and have some backbone in your life. Don't be a pushover. Go ahead and stand up and fight. I, I couple this right along with what, the, what uh, is said in the book of Jude, verse 3. It says, Beloved... Well, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. That word contend earnestly means to position yourself to fight with earnest zeal. Meaning he's not telling you to fight just, oh, please stop. Oh, please stop. No, he's saying... I command you to stop in the name of Jesus. And if you feel like taking another step towards me, devil, I'm going to go ahead and sock you right in the teeth. We don't need 
any weak, flimsy, backboned Christians. He's given you all power and all authority. He said, go. The Bible says that he's given you power over all the works of the enemy. You don't have to put up with it. And I've been preaching as I've been going across Canada this year with Kenneth Hagin Ministries. I've been preaching out of this verse, Jude chapter 1, verse 3, and saying, contend, get up and fight. Fight for your connection. Go ahead and believe God with a little bit of zeal. And each time that I've preached that message, I have people come up at the end. And I remember the first time I preached it, this woman came up. And she said, well, that, that's really nice. And you know that everything that is about to come after that is garbage. Well, that's really nice. I, I hear what you're saying, that you're telling me to fight. But I have chronic arthritis. And I just can't stand. And I just can't sit. And it just aches my body. And I'm sitting there going, like, that's what you've connected to. You said, I have. Well, Jesus said, I've borne it. And I said, well, what, what scriptures are you standing on? What did the Lord say about this? And she said, well, all the scriptures. No. Not, all the scriptures are not equally relevant at all times. What is applicable to your situation? By his stripes, you were healed. Stop saying, I have something that he said he bore. Come on, that's how you connect yourself to things that have no business being in your life. Stop saying, I am broke. No, I am the blessed of the Lord. That he supplies all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Stop saying my body aches. Start saying that I've got the life of God in my body. And just as he said, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll also quicken your mortal body or make it alive. What? Are you connecting together? Where is your connection? And so this morning, I've just been wanting to stir you up in that you have more impact in your life than you realize. You grab hold because Christ has already grabbed hold of you. Let your connection hold tight to the promises of the Lord. Let them be on your lips. Let them be in your actions and watch them change your circumstances for the better. Amen. Pastor Robin, bring us in for a landing. Oh, glory. I'm stirred. Hallelujah. <laughs> glory be to God. Um, we are we're going to take up the offering. We're going to receive the offering. I got excited about the scriptures that were used today because it. Uh, the, I got this revelation. And I got this a long time ago, but I just want to share it with you. What happened when Peter agreed to let Jesus use his boat? That was a seed sown. The boat was the seed. Use the boat. That's the seed. Look at the end result of what happened when he agreed to connect that with what happened, harvest. And also, it goes beyond Peter receiving a harvest because he had others that were blessed by association with that seed 
because you had the partners and their boats were all filled and were overflowing. <laughs> every story that Pastor Jordan shared, every story you find in the, in the Bible, there's always a seed. And that seed is the connection to the kingdom of God and its resources. So you look at every, in, every instant that happens in the Bible, it, whether it was just receiving healing, there was a seed. What was the seed? It was the faith that was released. And what became of the seed that was released? That faith, healing came. Amen? Amen. So let's say this together as we give today. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. See, do you do best? Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in the abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Glory be to God. And so there, there's several ways you can give. There's You can give online. And with you that do, thank you very much. We appreciate that. And it keeps us, our, our portion of the kingdom of heaven going on, kingdom of God going on. And uh, there's a basket at the back and an envelope in the, in the seat in front of you. So for the rest of you that did not receive from this message, from received healing in your body, whatever, I mean, we had a chance through worship. We had a chance through the prayer. We had a chance through through this whole message going forth. Healing was available. It was here. But if you'd like us to pray with you, Pastor Wendy and I will be up at the front here. We're the Word Care team this morning. We would love to minister to you. We would love to just even just pray with you. Amen? Amen. So you are blessed. <laughs>